Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Have you ever seen reborn babies? They're these hyper-realistic-looking dolls that are collected for their extraordinary artistic accuracy. They're also used therapeutically for people who suffer from anxiety and depression. Hear from a woman who uses them for just that reason. What she gives me is what I need to stop my anxiety. It's just the nurturing that I feel I'm overflowing and I've got no one to give it to because I've been, it's been taken away from me. Plus, meet an artist who makes them look so real and a researcher who studies the reborn community and culture. And hear the story of a photographer who made these dolls a major part of her work. And then the dolls became a part of her life. So I ended up buying two reborn dolls um, and integrated them into that body of work. And I kept on thinking about these reborn dolls. I'm like, what are these things? I'm Kyone Wolf. That's on the next Audacious, right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. The first time I laid eyes on a reborn baby, which is a hyper-realistic-looking baby doll with an accent on the hyper and the realistic, was when I was watching an episode of High Maintenance on HBO. The episode, called Proxy, begins with Adriana, played by Rosie Perez, watching YouTube footage of people unboxing these babies. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They look so real. Oh, she feels good. Can I touch her? Yes. (laughs) And Adriana is so excited. You don't know exactly why she's looking, but when she finds one online for $800, which I've learned is kind of a bargain since these things can be sold for thousands of dollars, she shows her husband Arturo, played by Guillermo Diaz. Arturo's skeptical, lovingly, but you get the feeling that whatever it is that's going on for his wife that made her want this baby, he's going to roll with it. Baby Nico finally arrives in the mail, and Adriana is overcome with excitement. Oh my gosh. Arturo, come here, look at him. (gasps) He looks so real. Look at this baby. (gasps) Look at you, baby. He fixes his hair. Hey, little guy. His skin is so sore. Feel it. Oh, my God. Look, his hand's going to fall off. That's so weird. Hey, little guy. Flash forward to a scene where they've got baby Nico in a stroller wandering around their Brooklyn neighborhood. They stop at a hardware store. Arturo stays outside with the stroller while Adriana goes in to get something, but then he follows her in, leaving the stroller outside. Naturally, a white lady with Karen hair discovers this abandoned baby, calls the cops, and then this scene unfolds. Excuse me. Excuse me. Are you responsible for this child? Yes. This is my baby. Who the f are you? Yo, Adi, please wait. You can't leave a baby out on the street. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why don't you just mind your own? Business lady, all right. Listen, honey, we're just gonna wait here for the cops. To the come cops? Out, right? you don't, don't touch me, okay. sir. Back hey, away. He didn't do anything to you. Okay. You can't. 
All right. Who calls? Relax. This is called. These lunatics left an infant unattended. It's not a real baby. Yo, they are out of God, it's a silicone doll. Look. That's what you're fighting about. It's a silicone doll. Look. Oh my God. That's what you're fighting about. Relax. Calm down. Calm down. Relax. The baby's fake. All right. Go on your way. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Get out of here. You're looking at show's over. They begin to walk home. Adriana is sobbing. I don't know. I just got heated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mama. I'm sorry. <laughs> the scene ends later that night in their kitchen with Arturo lovingly cradling baby Nico in his arms. Well, this scene from an HBO show is probably not the most typical experience of those who collect and appreciate the world of reborn dolls. I mean, they do look so real, but it got me thinking, and I wanted to find out more. Today, you'll meet a woman who uses reborn babies therapeutically, and you'll hear from an artist who painstakingly paints them, shimmering drool and the lightest, finest, bluest veins and all, and a photographer who started off using one as a prop, who then became a reborn baby mama herself. But first, let's get a broad view of what we're talking about here and what we're not talking about here with Emily St. Hilaire. She's a multidisciplinary artist and doctoral candidate in the Humanities PhD program at Concordia University in Montreal. She studies life like dolls and the motivations of their collectors, she says it's time to rethink non-human companionship. So, how'd she first hear about these reborn babies? This was something I came across pretty randomly back in 2016. I found videos online of these really realistic dolls, and I just was fascinated. What am I looking at? What is going on here? Um, I was a little weirded out, like a lot of people are, and so I thought, I'm going to take a closer look at this. Uh, there are a lot of articles online that talk about, you know, this is for women who are grieving the loss of a baby or for women who don't have children. So that was a starting point. But as I got to know this community of collectors, I realized there's a lot more going on. And it's certainly not only women who either don't have children or, or can't or have lost a child. There's a lot more people who are into it than that and not just women. So they take a long time to make, so they're really handcrafted. A lot of people are really interested in them as an artistic object and the care that goes into creating them to be so realistic, to be as realistic as possible. Yeah, they're almost like movie props, like so intricate. It's mind boggling. It's beautiful. Yes, and actually sometimes they're sold from a movie set or a t television show and you can buy those online. It's really the same thing. It's, it's all about the realism. What's the difference between a doll that's a couple hundred dollars and a doll that's a couple thousand? The materials is a big factor. So a doll made of silicone, um, it'll be a full body. It can be wet, like bathed. It can, it's uh, very different than the vinyl kit, which is a cloth body usually, and then the limbs and the head. So whereas the vinyl dolls are made from a run of uh, you know several thousand and then hand painted by a reborn artist, the silicone dolls are kind of a one-off or maybe a run of 10 dolls, and that's hand sculpted by a silicone reborn doll artist. So those would be in the thousands. 
So we were talking about how some people collect them as pieces of art, but what I really am interested in are the people who use these to alleviate feelings of anxiety, loneliness, uh, to address some sort of trauma or pain or something. What, this is a, the biggest question, but I mean, like, what do we know about what purpose these dolls have when people are in pain? Well, another reason why people might have these dolls is that it's fun. And I think that fact kind of gets obscured sometimes with the deep questioning of why people are enjoying this. But when I um, went down to the Rose Doll Expo in, in Utah a couple times before, before the pandemic, I saw that this is really a community of enthusiasts who are having a great time buying and sharing the dolls and buying accessories and clothing and all sorts of things and just having a really fun time with it. So. Whereas um, there's definitely therapeutic benefits, and for some people it's absolutely uh, can alleviate anxiety. But I just also am really interested in looking at the fact that it's kind of pathologized, maybe because it's mostly women, and as compared to say collecting model trains or being involved in a fantasy sport league, for some reason this idea that it could just be fun to play with and have dolls is you know really not normalized sure sure so so the the premise of this whole show you could say is really um not giving the broad spectrum view of the place of these dolls just because that some people use it as a treatment for anxiety or depression that's not the whole picture they could also just be fun absolutely and uh, something that I think is important for folks to realize is that no one believes that these are real babies. I've never met anyone who's met anyone who thinks it's a real baby. And you don't get that impression, particularly from fictional representations. For example, in the Apple TV show Servant, um, there's a reborn doll and it, the, the mother character, Dorothy, fully believes it's her baby. Um, as entertaining as that show might be, it, it's really giving kind of the wrong impression. It's not doing any favors to the collector community because of that, you know, like misunderstanding. When I was reading about you and the research you've been doing, there's words like synthetic relationships, non-human companionship. Pull the camera back for me. What are you, what are you studying? What are you learning about these synthetic relationships, these non-human companionships? So a lot of research in artificial intelligence and what's called social robots is thinking about what we might design in the future as a, a companion, a non-human companion. It might be um, the most basic form, maybe a chatbot. And today we have other kinds of more advanced um, programs and kind of devices. There's a robot called Lo Lovot Robot. So this is a, in Japan, a house companion that is basically a little fur, a little robot that's kind of like a pet meets a robot and it's there to give you love and to make you feel, uh, you know, companionship at home. And there's also uh, Pero, the therapy seal. Um, so in Japan, there's a lot of this uh, research and development being done in a large part, I guess, because they have an aging population and concerns about companionship for an aging population. So the therapeutic side 
they're utilizing artificial intelligence to interact with the owner. But what I'm realizing through my research on reborn dolls and also adult love dolls, sex dolls for adults, that if they're not artificially intelligent at all, there's still a very strong connection that can be made here. So I do think it's significant to consider how little AI is even necessary in order to have a significant companionship type of relationship. And I've taken to calling that a synthetic relationship. And I was really inspired as well by the movie Her, where um, the main character, Theodore, gets involved in a relationship with his OS, his operating system. So I think a lot of people think that that could definitely be something that comes up in the future. I'm really interested in how the dolls have a physical presence as well. So it's almost two separate things, but uh, I definitely think there are implications for this kind of future world we envision. The overarching feeling I get when I think about these reborn babies, as somebody who's just learning about it by doing this episode, and when I think about these um, these synthetic relationships, as you call them, part of me is like, well, okay, <laughs> this is my judginess, well, okay, as long as like they know they're not real, right? Like whatever benefits you get out of it, like however it makes you happy or fulfilled or healed, okay, but as long as you know, as long as you remember, and that line of, well, what if they don't? What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Well, to me, it gets back as well to the uncanniness and that initial creepiness. So the creepy feeling that we get sometimes, it can come from a bit of an uncertainty as to whether or not there's a threat. So if there's like a dark shadowy corner, you know, should I be afraid of that or not? We don't know. So there's a creepy feeling there may be a threat there. But when we feel creepy about a reborn doll, sure, the the doll may or may not be real. And that, I think, at a at an instinctual level is a bit disturbing because we don't know what to think. But once we displace that creepiness onto the doll owner, what is the actual threat there? Is it that she might steal a real baby? Is it that she's crazy? She doesn't know that it's not real. So... By questioning where the creepy feeling is actually located, I think gets a little bit deeper in dividing what's maybe a justifiable concern, like, wait, is that is that baby real or not? And then what is perhaps something that should be questioned? Well, Emily St. Hilaire, thank you so much for talking with me about all this. Thank you for the opportunity. When we get back. I do it for people who understand what I want to say with my dolls because the world is diversity. I knew that this was just such a remarkable subject and I knew I'm like, I have to figure out how I can make work about this. Meet a photographer and a painter and ponder the art of the doll. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me.
This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're getting a better understanding of the community of people who collect reborn baby dolls. These are hyper-realistic-looking and feeling babies, infants. They're used therapeutically, for sure, and in a little bit you're going to meet a woman who says her life has greatly improved since she welcomed one into her life. But as we learned in the last segment, they're also works of art that draw a great deal of collectors. And the artists who make these babies look so mind-bogglingly real, they can make a good amount of money. Irene Golden is a reborn artist from Spain and the owner of Latidos Reborn, where for the past six years, she sold over a hundred tiny bundles of art. But before she got into this line of work, what was it like for her the first time she met one of these dolls? Well, the first reborn baby I hold in my arms was the one washed by my sister. And it caught my attention, the, the realistic uh, feature of the face and also the weight of the baby. And the posing was very, very real. So I asked to my sister, can you let me to an ensemble the baby to see how it is made? And after I was looking the baby for a long time and I look at her and I say, I can do it. I never saw something like that because in my childhood, all the, the dolls were in plastic and very tough. Yeah, very stiff. Exactly. And how long does it take for you to do a doll on average? It's about one month, maybe more. How many hours do you think? A lot. Because I don't paint every day because the light. I live in front of the sea and I use the, the gray scale of the nature to paint. So if the light is not good, I cannot paint. So my work depends on the light all the time. So I have long progress. I don't paint every day. I only choose the best hour on the light. So each artist has a technique. I see on your website you have babies that are available, but do people sometimes contact you to specifically design a doll just for them? Yes, but I don't do it. I did it when I started. But I felt like I'm a slave of the taste of someone who don't know how this material and colors works. So sometimes they call you brown hair, blue eyes. So your creativity is over. You are simply a painter who made something to the taste of the others. So I stop one year. And I say, I don't want to make custom anymore. I want to feel free because I want to translate a message of my dolls. Because as you can see, I am multi-ethnicity woman in a white country. I have three blots, blots on my veins, Native American, Black, and Caucasian. And in my childhood, I have no reference. I only have white and blonde dolls. Now when I grow up, uh, you can see some Barbies and uh, some Spanish brands with one model of black, always are more ugly or fat. So the discrimination, I don't want to repeat this on my nieces and nephews because 
and my family is multi-ethnicity, so I think they can have another view on the playroom. So I started like a compromise to show the difference. Not all the babies have a perfect skin. It's impossible. It, it's not real. All of them have disease on the skin. Not all of them are beautiful. It's impossible. The most of them are turtles. Beautiful. <laughs> turtles. Yes. So I want to do what I want. All my dolls found the person, found the collector, always. Sooner or later, it happens. Some people say, I love your dolls, but I never will buy it. Okay, it's okay for me. I don't do it for everybody. I do it for people who understand what I want to say with my dolls. Because I think it's important that you find vitiligo, albino, Black African, Native American, indigenous. Because the world is diversity. Some people say, it's risky what you do because it's not easy to sell. But I don't paint for collectors. I paint for me. That's the difference. Irene Golden, thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Irene's work can be seen at latidosreborn.com. Jamie Diamond did not plan on becoming a collector of reborn babies. As a photographer, she was working on a project where she would make photos of herself as her mother, accurate wig and all, and she needed a realistic-looking baby as a stand-in for herself in the series. And that's when she went on eBay... And it was there that I discovered my first reborn doll. And I didn't know it was a reborn doll at the time. I was, I was looking, you know, and I saw quite ordinary dolls. And then all of a sudden I see this one doll. It looks like a real child. And I was like, what is that? Uh, and I was fascinated. And, and I couldn't believe how expensive it was either. And I, and I was perplexed. It was like a few thousand dollars. And this was, again, in 2009, you know, so quite some time ago. Now they're much more. They can go up to over ten thousand dollars so i it was 2009 about and i and I, I was looking and i'm like i need one of these i need one of these but i didn't have much to spend and i remember i bought one that was damaged and bruised and the language surrounding it was quite interesting but um so i bought the doll and i started using that um in my i promised to be a good mother series and then i was so obsessed i had to buy another one so i ended up buying two reborn dolls um and integrated them into that body of work and I kept on thinking about these reborn dolls. I'm like, what are these things? And there was very little information available at the time on the internet. Um, and I was just like doing everything I possibly could to find the research. Um, and I, I stumbled upon uh, the reborn convention, the, the Down East Doll Convention, which is the first convention ever where reborners met in person um, in North Carolina. And I reached out to a few people. No one really got back to me. So I was like, I have to go. And I'm like, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to forge some type of connection. And also, how else am I going to understand what this is? Because there was very little information available. So I said, okay, I'm going to go. I brought my whole body of work in, you know, a portfolio, the whole I Promise to Be a Good Mother series. I didn't even bring my camera. And I, and I brought my dolls with me, my two dolls, my reborn dolls. 
And I'll just never forget the experience because it was so awakening. And so I was so nervous, you know, to go because I was traveling to this little town in North Carolina by myself with all of these things. Um, I didn't know how I'd be received. And I'll never forget because there's this massive convention in this tiny little town. And to the left is the doll convention and to the right is a gun convention. And I'm not making this up. So you see all of these big men carrying these rifles walking to the right. And then all these women in pink with their dolls to the left. And it was so amazing. I mean, really like fascinating. Um, as an- and how did they receive you? Now, I imagine that the type of person to be going to a convention like this and participating in this reborn baby community, I imagine that they are all pretty freaking maternal and loving and nurturing. Is that about right? Yes. Like the most remarkable, kind, silly, uh, joyful, yeah, nurturing. Um, That's exactly right. Um, Although I will say there is some reluctance. I mean, especially when it comes to journalists or any outsider, because of course they need to protect their community and protect how it's perceived. And, and as you know, there's been a lot of fetishization and, and misrepresentation. So yes, there is still hesitation though. But I think in my case, because I was presenting you know, I was showing them my work and I, I was very transparent. I, I was very, I had no really motivation or intention. I, I came really out of sheer curiosity. Which is, I bet, how a lot of them came to it too in their own way, right? I mean, how else? Yeah. And usually through the internet first, which is also really interesting. The internet plays such a, a vital role in how the dolls are shared. And this is what really interests me, you know, as a photographer, photography is central to this form of communication, right? Because that's how, you know, these women are all around the world, although it started in America, you know, it's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Brazil, Canada, Germany actually has quite a a reborn community, Italy. Um, So when I went to this convention, I met women from all around the world. And what's so remarkable is that they've been communicating for over 10 years through the internet, but the first time they were meeting in person. So to see that very joyous kind of um, coming together and the enthusiasm was really beautiful for me. And I was like, how am I going to like take on a subject like this? Because I'm not a documentary photographer, but it's like, I knew that this was just such a remarkable subject and, and aligned so much with what my interests were as an artist dealing with family and fantasy and, um, and reality and fiction. And there's so many interesting slippages between all of that and technology and AI and, and, I knew I'm like, I have to figure out how I can make work about this. So it was juicy, (laughs) very much so. And I, and also I really started to, I was just fascinated. It was just curiosity. And I decided I built these really beautiful friendships that I continued. And then I really started to travel uh, around America, mainly the Northeast, which is where I'm from and meet these women and individually understand for them, because everyone has a completely different set of motivations and behaviors and relationships to the dolls. And, and they really vary from person to person. Of course, there's, you know, some archetypes that you can um, talk about. But I met women who were 14 who collected, women who were of childbearing age who chose to have a doll instead of a child for financial reasons or because they can't have children. Um, but I'd say the majority of the women are empty nesters women who um, have their children have left their home and now they 
they, they feel this lack of purpose um, in some way. And the doll very much kind of fulfills that for them and reunites them with that, that time in their lives where they felt most um, not desired necessarily, but they felt like their role was that this was their role. This is their purpose here. Um, and it's also about arrested development in, in the most beautiful way and the playfulness of, I still play with dolls. And um, anyway, there's so many stories I could tell you, but that was my entry. And then from there, it was really a six year body of work that I developed. Because you spent so much time, not only learning about this community, but becoming a part of it, documenting it, uh, showing it in the beautiful ways that you show it. I wonder what, what you hope people get out of this episode of Audacious, but our conversation, what do you hope like people have to understand that maybe before they heard your voice, they didn't quite understand? Well, I think it's not only about this episode, but it's that this type of work in general, don't be so quick to just react. And I think with this community, you know, there's so many dimensions and there's so many layers. Even if you might have that visceral reaction or it makes you uncomfortable, like ask yourself why. And and I think it's, you know, it, it enters a bigger conversation about the uncanny valley. I think it's um, symptomatic of, of something bigger than, than just this subculture. And I think it's, it's a complicated, but I would say like we all just need to be a little more generous and, um, and less critical of each other. You know, when we first started producing this show, I, I think we thought it was going to be pretty straightforward, you know therapy babies. Let's see what we can learn about that. And I am wrapping my head around the fact that it is so much more multifaceted than that. And we could probably do a whole three show series on this whole community. So thank you for continuing to broaden this topic. That being said, dare I ask, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you want to make sure you bring up? One other thing actually is, I don't know if you're familiar with like the portrait babies and women who have lost children often, and I've gotten a lot of requests. I, I haven't um, agreed to do it, but um, a lot of women who have lost children will then kind of create a surrogate or um, a portrait baby of a child. Um, and, and I think for grieving purposes, you know, there is that. Like they would maybe submit a photograph yeah. of the child who died and that the doll would be made yes. to look pretty much identical to their baby who yeah. died. And I've gotten a lot of requests for that. Um, so that's quite, that's a whole other layer, you know, to this culture. That uh, makes my hair stand up. Yeah. But you know what? I think it's very helpful, you know, and it's, um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's, it's a tool, you know, it's a, a tool for grief. And, um, and I think it's really helped women, you know, um, transition or move forward um, in some way. And yeah, so it's interesting to think about like the potential, you know, and the power that objects have. It makes me think of, did you ever see Black Mirror? Oh, yes. I've seen every episode. Oh, I know. Love, I love Black Mirror. So the episode I'm thinking of is the one where the woman's husband or boyfriend dies and he, they send her a, a version of him. A, the best version because it's all the best pictures that she kept of him. Yeah. And that, that makes me think about that. And it seems like <laughs> that, sh it should, that show should be like um, Black Mirror seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> You know, and how it's just like, oh, you know, it would be cool as if you could just replicate the person who died that you love. And uh, it seems like a good idea, but it um, it is not without its 
complications. And this is me saying this, first of all, as someone who hasn't lost a baby, let alone had uh, had the opportunity to experience uh, some sort of uh, remake of it. But that does, it does, when we think, when we talk about the uncanny valley and that sort of feeling of, there's something, there's something I can't quite put my finger on here, but it's got my like spidey senses up. I don't know. It makes me think of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I think about it in terms of also photography and its relation to memory, you know, as this way to preserve or to immortalize either a moment or a loved one. And, you know, that was always my interest in some way, or at least in the beginning, it's like these dolls are more than the photograph. They are a three-dimensional physical replica in some cases. Um, But it's like, it takes it beyond what photographs can do in terms of um, kind of holding on to something. But that episode of Black Mirror always resonated with me um, because it's what we want to remember, right? Like the fact that she holds on to the pictures that are the best moments, the happiest memories and the best representations of her husband, because he's much better looking in his replica than he was in real life, you know? And that's interesting too, because sometimes we only want to remember the good moments, right? Not the bad ones. So it's like we construct then our own memories. And aren't we all just a construction of our memories, which aren't ever really wholly accurate anyway? Exactly. It's all mediated, right? I've been developing lately a strong sense. I'm in the middle of a divorce and um, I've been thinking a lot. I've been having a lot of issues. I've been having a lot of anger towards stories. Mm, Yeah. um, And how I think I've been not using them in a way that's productive. And if if I'm just a collection of stories, then maybe I could put some on on a shelf or maybe I can make one mean something slightly different than how I was telling it to myself before. Um, But yeah, these, if we're all just stories, then run with it because being a human being on planet earth is hard. Yeah. And there's multiple narrator narrators, right? (laughs) Stories are told by many people. Yeah, when they when people say stuff like when they write about this in the history books, I'm like, what history book? Right. Who's they? Oh, there is none. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's unpack it. Yeah. Jamie Diamond, thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. You can see Jamie's work featuring reborn dolls, including a gallery of the same reborn doll painted by nine different artists on her website, jamiegdiamond.com. After the break. Even though your boys grow up and they become men, they will always be my babies. So it just helps me to nurture. This is what I need. I need to give my love somehow. How reborn dolls help some people feel reborn too. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back.
This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today you're learning about the world of reborn babies. These are hyper-realistic looking dolls designed to look and feel just like human infants. Some people who own them call them therapy babies. That's what Patricia Bartolome of Perth, Australia calls hers. She'd been suffering from depression and anxiety since being estranged from her sons for 16 years. And one day, Patricia began to ponder. Even though her sons are grown men now, maybe she'd find a way to express the love and nurturing she missed so much if she found a baby doll to give it to. One Google search led to another, and she stumbled across reborn babies. She went to a collector to buy one. And when the collector put the baby doll in her arms. And I just burst into tears. This, um, you know, have you got children? No. No. Well, this is something that a mother who has had children can feel. When they first put the baby in your arms and you feel that little, the little weight, the, the, ah, oh, and it just, I just kept crying and I kept saying, I want her, I want her, I want her. And my sister's looking at me and she, she thought I'd lost the plot. She said, you know, with all this thing going on, you know, she's lost it. But anyway, she said, well, I'll buy it for you for Christmas. So she bought it for me. It was $300. And, oh, my goodness, I came home and I had her in bed with me. The next day I went to the op shops and I bought baby clothes and I bought a capsule for the car and I bought a pram. And I said to her, look, I don't want to embarrass you if that's what you feel, but What she gives me is what I need to stop my anxiety, to stop, you know, seeing a mother with her child. But then, you know, she saw what it was doing to me, how it made me feel. When you're alone with the reborn baby, it's it's intimate, right? Like this is you time. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to worry about misunderstandings. You don't have to, you don't have to think about anything but to be with this and to be with this relief and these feelings you have. And when you go out, it's like a different world. You, you have to know that people react strongly to babies, that people go, oh, let me see your baby. Oh, how old's your baby? So when you're interacting with people who don't know you and they are curious and they go, oh, you know, and plus you're an older woman, right? And so it, it may be confusing to people, like how does this older woman have this little baby? What's it? Maybe it's her grandchild. What, what does it feel like for you? Is there anxiety for you that you take on when you go out? Or is it something else? Actually, I have never, ever felt the anxiety of when I took my baby out. From the very beginning, I was so confident because I said it straight out. It's my therapy baby. And I started, you know, continuously saying that it's my therapy baby. So then people become a little bit more you know, gentle, when they hear therapy, so then they ask me the reason why. And, you know, sometimes I would say a little bit more and some I would say, oh, it's, it's a sad story. I don't feel like saying talking about it. But never, ever did I feel embarrassed or anxious because I had my baby with me. Actually, my baby made me feel less anxious. When you scratch at the surface of what this is doing for you can you talk about it because your your sons who you haven't seen in so long 
you know, they're grown and they've grown up quite a bit. Yeah. And this is not, uh, you know, an adult son baby. This is a baby baby. Yeah. And I wonder, like, can you talk about what what that connection is, what this baby is tapping into for you that's bringing you that healing? The reborns are tapping into my nurturing side of it. I cannot hug uh, my children. I have a granddaughter. She's four years old now. I have never seen her. I don't know what she looks like. Um, I haven't spoken to my sons for 20 years. I'm missing out on this nurturing. You know, even, even though your boys grow up and they become men, they will always be my babies. Do you know what I mean? I think every mother feels this, that their children never really become adults in their eyes because, you know, it's their babies. So it just helps me to nurture. This is what I need. I need to give my love somehow and receive love in return because that's a world law. I mean, that's the law to love and be loved. That's the antidote. Yeah, that's what these babies do to me. They then, you know, I know they're dolls. I know they're not babies and I don't, you know, sort of like sometimes I'll, if I'm in a hurry, I don't take it out of the car. I leave it in the in the capsule, but I cover it up so no one breaks my windscreens because <laughs> police have done that. <laughs> police have done that? Yes. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Not to me, but they have done it, yes. And so, yeah, it's just the loving, the nurturing that I feel I'm overflowing and I've got no one to give it to because I've been, it's been taken away from me. So I have these little babies who I just hold and hug if I feel sad, you know, if it's like one of my son's birthdays or Christmas. I hate Mother's Day. Mother's Day for me is is the worst day of the year. I do not go out on Mother's Day. I will sleep all day, make sure that I sleep all day so that when I wake up, it's the next day and it's past because I can't cope. I can't cope with that. You have more than one of these babies. Will you tell me about the others and why you wanted more than one? I've got nine now. Grace was the first one. Um, Angela Rose, the twins, Harmony and Faith, because they're both the same. And then I've got Serenity. Then in my bedroom, I have the two silicone ones, which are all full silicone. So you can bath them and, you know, you can powder them. (laughs) And that's Violet and Tiffany. And then, of course, I've got Pia and they're all girls. Then I, I decided one day I thought, you know what, I might make an Elvis baby. So I did. An Elvis baby. Would you like to see him? Yes, of course I would. <laughs> he has a bit of a bad hair day. <gasps> He's got aviators on in his hair. <laughs> oh, wow. His outfit is on point. And a dear friend of mine, she made the jumpsuit for him. Will you describe it for our radio audience? The jumpsuit is a white jumpsuit with all the gold uh, rhinestones that Elvis had and his red scarf. And, you know, he's got his little curl, which at the moment, there it is, there's his little curl. Uh, (laughs) On the forehead. Oh, that's good. And you know what the funny part is? Because when you want to paint a baby, you buy the kit. It's called a kit. comes with the head, the arms, 
and the legs, right? Because the body's cloth. So I was trying to look for Elvis's little, you know. Oh, the pucker. And I looked at different babies. This is a real born, which means it's a ba- it's a photo taken of a real baby where they then they with a 3D scanner make the mold and then they pour the mold and so it has everything a real every little crease in the feet everything because it's it's taken from a real baby. Well, my Elvis is actually a little girl called Priscilla. No, <laughs> that's great. And and I thought, oh Lord, this is meant to be. It has to be because it's it's like whoa, it's mind blowing. <laughs> He's quite a star, this one. <laughs> <laughs> star is reborn. Yes, I know that people are listening to this, and and by hearing you and the other guests we have on the show, they're getting a better understanding for what these reborn babies are for and what they do. And this is a public radio audience, which means they're generally brilliant and inquisitive and curious and understanding. What are some ways people just don't get it? Like what kind of misconceptions do people have that you're always up against, you always have to answer to? Some people find them freaky because they don't move. No doll moves, so it's just that they're so realistic looking that you expect it to move. Is how is how realistic they are? Yes, that's true. They are very realistic. Um, some people would say, "Oh, but aren't you ashamed of yourself at your age to go around with a pram and a doll? You shouldn't be doing that." So I just let them talk, and then I say, "But doesn't your husband have?" You know, that beautiful car he keeps in the garage and only takes it out on a sunny day with all his money. And he talks to it and he names it. (laughs) And takes it out with his mates, you know, and they go and do the laps around wherever. What about your other, you know, to somebody else, what about your husband? He's always sitting in front of the PlayStation, role-playing, killing people. And And you're telling me that I should be ashamed of myself? No way. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. If you don't want to talk to me or don't want to see me, that's fine. And you know it's a doll. Yes, yes. That's just it. I know it's a doll, but it's what it makes me feel. It just does something to my brain because I know that when you hold a baby, it stimulates some hormones in your brain. They're good feel hormones. And I want those hormones. I want to feel good. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel as though at 65 I'm not of any use to anybody and it's just not fair. I have to stay on this earth until God takes me. And if he decides to take me at 100 years old, what am I going to do for the next 35 years? (laughs) So bring on the babies. You run a Facebook group, My Therapy Reborn Group, and as of today, it's got 731 members. Yes. What kind of things are people talking about in this group? People that join my group are able to express themselves without judgment. So people can come there, they can put up their babies, they can talk about how how do I take the baby out, you know, I'm still scared. The girls around here, I've got a, a group of about 30 mums, one dad, uh, six children. 
that come to the group and one one little, uh, well, it's not little, he's 11, he's got autism and he's got an avatar baby and, you know, that avatar baby does for him what mine do for me. When you say avatar, do you mean the movie? Yeah, avatar from the movie, the blue babies. Oh, okay. And we meet up every three weeks. There's a big park and there's a cafe there. And they set everything up for us and we all have lunch and we talk and we cuddle each other's babies. Some mums, you know, that suffer from depression, you know, they need more support and to help them because when you feel in a really depressed mood and you think that life's not worth living, that's dangerous. I've been there. I've been there three times. Failed, but been there three times. I'm glad you failed. Yeah. Well, now I, I can say, yes, God had a plan for me. I, I'm starting to think this could be it, but we'll see. We'll see. Patricia Bartolome, thank you so much for talking with me. Okay. It's been a pleasure. We'll have a link to Patricia's My Therapy Reborn group on our website, ctpublic.org slash audacious audacious is produced by me jessica severin Martinez, and katie talarski at connecticut public radio in hartford subscribe to audacious and you'll always get to hear the show a day early and thanks for leaving that review on apple podcasts like this one from dtbb13 kion and jessica bring us guests that respectfully display the human condition and challenge the limitations of our personal perspectives Thank you, Kayon, for noticing the noticers and giving a voice to those who are often misunderstood. DTBB13, I think you just may have summed up this entire show forever. So thank you for that beautiful review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews there are, the more the giant, unfeeling podcast machine knows to favor us. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, And my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Rock, a hula baby rock. A hula baby got a hula loop. I'm a hula loop that a rock a hula baby of mine.